And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Well, question this morning, what prompts us to glorify God? Um, to glorify means literally to, to give weight to, to, to make much of, to praise, to honor. Uh, if someone glorifies a, a singer, a football team, uh, they make much of them, they praise them, uh, they honor them. What prompts us to glorify God? Well, as you'll have realized, we're in very familiar territory this morning in Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And at the beginning of chapter 2, Luke has explained already that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And then from verse 21 onwards in Luke chapter 2, what we find is that he goes on to tell us what happens when the child grows up. But in the meantime, Luke sort of pauses and we get this incident with the angel and the shepherds. Why is that? Why does Luke almost like stop his account of Jesus and tell us about this incident with the angels and the shepherds? And the answer is it's because what's happening in Bethlehem that night needs an explanation. There are two headings this morning, so you know where we're going. First one, the angel announces good news. Verse 10 of our passage. The angel comes to the shepherds and says to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. I'm not a great science fiction person, but I gather in science fiction, visitors from another world are not normally good news. They're often hostile. Well, these visitors from another world, they're not bringing bad news. Verse 10, it's good news for all the people. They're not hostile. Verse 14, we'll come to. They're, they're announcing peace. What's the, cause, what's the cause of this joyful news, the cause of this peace? 
Verse 11, for, this is the explanation of the joy and the peace, for, because, a baby has been born. It may be that in Bethlehem that night, there were a number of babies that were born, and the birth of any baby uh, is special, not least to the parents. This baby, though, is not just any baby, and that's why the angel comes. We need to know who this child is, why it's good news that he's been born. Verse 11, the angel tells the shepherds about this baby. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. The baby is a saviour. Not everybody thinks that people need a saviour. U.S. President... Uh, John F. Kennedy. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they may be solved by man. Man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Now, he was talking in the 1960s, in the height of the Cold War between the USA and the USSR, as it was then. And maybe... There's some element of truth in what he was saying about relationships between America and the USSR. But it doesn't apply to our relationship with God. We have a problem of human destiny that is way beyond human beings. Man is not by nature at peace with a pure and holy God. Man, first and foremost, needs a rescuer, a savior. Verse 11, unto you is born this day a savior. I suspect this is probably not quite the best time to ask you if you're happy with the Christmas presents that you've bought for people. So hard, isn't it, to get just the right thing. Maybe tomorrow, though, you'll hear those wonderful news when you give a present to somebody and say, Do you know that? and they mean it, honestly, you know, that's just what I needed. Well, the baby in the manger is just what mankind needs, a saviour. A saviour who, who, in verse 14, the angels announce, will bring peace with God. Uh, 1938, Neville Chamberlain came back from Munich and famously announcing, peace for our time. And as we know, sadly, That was not to be the case. Verse 14, the angel announced peace, and that is the case. Peace with God. Not automatic, but possible. The baby is a savior. But can the baby bring peace? Can he save? Well, the angel tells the shepherds that Jesus is also the Christ or the Messiah. And that means God's chosen king, the anointed one. Back in the Old Testament, uh, Aaron, uh, Saul, David, amongst others, were anointed. They were given, if you like, the divine seal of approval for their role. All of them were pointing to the ultimate anointed one, Jesus. And the baby in the manger is this Christ fully equipped for his work on earth. Can he save? Can he bring peace? Well, he's God's chosen 
messenger, chosen king. And this baby is the Lord. Is Lord. The word that you, Luke is using is the word he's already used for none other than God himself. It's no wonder that the angel needed to come. The angel needed to come to explain who this child is. The angel is saying to the shepherds, in Bethlehem, you'll find a baby. This baby is your savior, is your Messiah, and is none other than God himself. Well, after the angel's announcement in verse 15, the focus sort of now shifts. It shifts from heavenly activity to earthly activity. We follow the shepherds, Luke's eyewitnesses, as they head into Bethlehem. And this is where we need to sort of stand back a little bit from some of those traditional Christmas cards that we'll have on our mantelpieces. How did the shepherds know where to go? They didn't see a star over the place. They weren't attracted by the bright lights of a warm, comforting stable filled with wise men and smiling cattle. They probably had to ask around. They maybe found other babies before, verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph. Maybe also some kindly neighbors who'd heard the noise and come to help. And what do they find? they find a newborn baby. This is not meant to be a picture of Jesus. This is a reminder, if we needed it, of what a newborn baby looks like. How did the shepherds know that they'd got, oh, by the way, the um, the hairy bit there is a man's hand. (laughs) That's just a reminder of what a newborn baby looks like. Um, How do the shepherds know that they'd got the right baby when there was no no halo, there was no star? Verse 12, the angels had told the shepherds, this is the sign, this will be the sign, this is how you'll know you found the right baby. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They'd only know that they'd found the right baby when they found where the baby was. In all the muck and the filth of a place where cattle were kept, there was a baby. That was the only sign that told them that this was the baby they were looking for. Having found the baby, what do they say? What do the shepherds say? Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. What do the shepherds do? Well, they pass on the message of the angels. They say to Mary and to Joseph and to those who were around what the angel had said to them. This baby, they say, looking like any other newborn baby, is our Savior, our Messiah, and none other than God himself. That was the message of the angels. It's the message of the shepherds. It's the message also of the gospel writers. John, at the end of John's gospel, he says this. 
talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that, here we go, that Jesus, the baby, was the Christ and the Son of God. It's the message of the New Testament, and it's our message. Message to the world that the baby in the manger is the Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's the one who will bring peace to the world. It's no wonder, is it, that the, that the angel announces that this is good news. I guess this time of year, and we've been coming to church for a long time, we hear it, we're just so familiar with this message. And it's easy to lose sight of, of how good that news is. Uh, a friend of mine wrote a booklet a while ago uh, about Jesus. And this was the title that he gave the booklet. And that, any, any rescue is good news, isn't it? But there can't be any better news in the world than this. That God has come to rescue man from sin and to bring peace. Whatever tomorrow is looking like, humanly speaking, for us here today, Christmas is truly a time of good news. It's good news for all the people. It's a time of peace with God. Those verse 14 will make clear his coming is good news for those who'll accept him, for those on whom his favor rests. If we're not sure if that includes us, then do ask somebody. But it's good news. That's our first heading. The angel announces good news to men. But let's go back to verse 13, because with that announcement, something changes. Verse 13. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Second heading. The angels glorify God. The shepherds, it is fair to say, would not have forgotten this night. They started off being faced with an angel and the glory of God. Now, they are surrounded by the host of heavenly beings. I'm no great cook, but occasionally you have a pan bubbling on the stove, and it's just bubbling away nicely. And then for some reason, no apparent reason that I can ever understand, it just sort of bubbles over. What's caused this bubbling over from heaven? What's caused this, this, this extra activity? Why, why have these heavenly beings come now? What prompts this outburst of glory to God? Well, you say, that's what heavenly beings do. They glorify God. Well, of course, that's true. But it seems as if it's the message from the first angel that triggers the arrival of this heavenly host glorifying God. Here's a question. Are the angels glorifying God because of what he's given them or because of who he is? It's partly the first. The angels will share the thrill of God blessing his creation, but 
If I can put it like this, the angels aren't the immediate beneficiaries of a savior coming. Isn't it this, that the angels are glorifying God as they see what he's done and how he's done it. They're recognizing God for who he really is and they respond with praise and honor. Human wisdom would say that when God comes to earth, if such a thing could happen, then then surely God would come in luxury to a palace bedroom, not to an animal shelter, to the seat of power, not out in the country, to a cozy cot, not a cattle feeding trough, to a princess, not an ordinary girl, wrapped in fine linen, not ordinary cloths, visited by the great and good, not by men who were largely not trusted. Human wisdom would say that if you want to rescue, you come in a position of strength. You you put your own oxygen mask on first before you help others. Human wisdom would say that when God comes to earth, he would come in all his majesty and power. And the angels are glorifying God because in his wisdom, he has come, yes, as Savior, Christ and Lord, as a helpless baby. And did you notice it's the same with the shepherds? Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. What prompts them to glorify God? Well, yes, they'd heard the angel's message, certainly. But they heard the message, they saw the baby. And then they went back glorifying God. Uh, sometimes Christmas you have a problem with presents. I think there's one coming up on the screen where the, the gift gets separated from the giver. Maybe you've had that situation where in amongst all the carnage you suddenly find this present and the label has got lost and you have not got a clue who it came from, who it's for and what to do with it. Sometimes though, even before we open the present, we just don't need a label. As we look at the present and and the wrapping and and how it came, we just know who it's from. That is so typical Auntie Sarah. She always does it like that. That first Christmas, God provides for mankind the perfect present and he does it in a way that leaves no doubt about the nature of the giver. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says this, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I think we can sometimes read these words as if they're saying that although Jesus was God, he did something very ungodlike and came to earth as, as a baby. No. It's because he is God. This is his nature. As God, he comes as a baby. That's how God acts. This is so like God. And this is what prompts the angels and the shepherds to glorify God. They see who God is, not just for what he gives them, 
but they see him for who he is and they glorify him. What prompts us to glorify God? Do we glorify God for what he gives us or for who he is? Actually, it's a bit of an unfair question because rather like the fictional Auntie Sarah, we can't really separate God from his nature. He is a giver. But I wonder if we're too quick sometimes just to thank him for his gifts and not thank him for who he is. Baptist uh, preacher Spurgeon says this, all the works of God's hands do not glorify him so much as the gift of his dear son. What wisdom is manifested in the plan of redemption of which the incarnate God is the center? What love is there revealed? What power is that which brought the divine one down from glory to a manger? Only omnipotence could have worked so great a marvel. Whoever we are, it is wonderful that God is like this. No wonder the angel says that this is good news for all the people. In this world, some things are only available, aren't they, to the rich, to the famous, to the wealthy, to the wise, to those who've got it all together, to the strong. Not Christmas. Christmas is available for all. Uh, somebody put it like this, and I can't remember who, where I got this quote from, so if it's somebody here and I'm not um, acknowledging you, I do apologize, tell me afterwards. Um, oh, somebody, put, somebody put it like this, all the, all the imagery shows God's concern for people regardless of their social status or vocation. He cares for all and identifies with all. For some of us, tomorrow, humanly speaking, will be a great day. For some of us, tomorrow, humanly speaking, will be a difficult day. For all of us, tomorrow is for us. Because we celebrate the coming of Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And here's the point. It's the God who is with us, not just in a palace but the God who's with us in the feeding trough. If this is who God is, and it is, what's our response? Well, it's what the angels and the shepherds did. It's to glorify God. As we finish, well, what might that look like for us over the coming week? Well, in the busyness of tomorrow, what might we do? We might want to carve out just a bit of time to to stop individually, as families, as a church, to stop and to thank and to praise him, not just for the wonderful gift of his son, but also for who he is, that he is the God who comes for us, whoever we are. Glorifying isn't a silent activity. When people glorify their football team, you don't often know about it. They tell you, don't they? The angels and the shepherds, well, they glorified God. They made sure that people knew how great God is. I don't know about you. I often pray for opportunities to 
uh, tell people about God, but I just, you know, I just don't know where to start, and sometimes it doesn't seem to be the right sort of time, and then I often find that I see that it was an opportunity afterwards. Well, here's a thought. For all of us, from Tuesday, Matt will tell you sort of what Tuesday's going to be like, whether it's sort of which day of the week it actually is, but anyway, from Tuesday onwards through to the following sort of beginning of January, then back in the office, first day back at school, we won't have to look far for opportunities to let people know what we think of God. They'll land on our plate. Why is that? Well, it's because friends and families and relative strangers and the people we meet walking the dog will be asking us whether we enjoyed celebrating the birth of our Savior. They won't actually put it like that. What they will do is they'll say, did you have a good Christmas? And there's an opportunity. What do we talk about? Well, of course, we'll talk about the food and the family and the time we had together. But whether the turkey was lovely or burnt, whether the family was happy or fractious, whether we were alone or with company, whether we were well or ill, whether we were happy or whether we were sad, well, perhaps we can say that actually we had a great Christmas. Why? Because it reminds us, it reminded us of how amazing God is. That would be glorifying to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this season of the year to remember your coming. Please help us to grasp the wonder of it more fully. And please help us to respond by glorifying you as you deserve. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.